This program is brought to you by Bible Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today on Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies today in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12. Brother John Shannon made this comment concerning Romans 12, and I quote, With Romans 12, Paul begins the final section of his letter, which we might entitle Service, chapters 12 to 16. This closing section consists of practical duties that are based on the doctrines Paul has discussed in chapters 1 through 11. In the Christian life, doctrine and duty always go together. What we believe helps to determine the way we behave. It is not enough for us to understand understand Paul's doctrinal explanations. We must translate our learning into living demonstrating by our daily lives that we truly love God and trust His Holy Word." And again, doctrine is teaching. And Paul continues to teach in the final five chapters here of the book of Romans. In Romans 12.1, we find that true Christian service and living must begin with personal dedication to the Lord. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The first thing he says there is, I beseech you. The word beseech there from the Greek word parakaleo, Strong's defines parakaleo as to call near, that is, invite, invoke, by imploration, hortation, or consolation. And again, Paul pleads with them, where he says, I beseech you. He does not command, but he pleads with Christians to live accordingly to what God has already done for us. An example of what God has already done for us is Romans 5, 8 through 10. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know, again, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, I'm pleading with you, in other words, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So again, Paul is talking to fellow Christians here. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, we find that God is the Father of mercies. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God, even Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, again speaking of the mercy of God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, or made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Titus 3, 4 and 5. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Washing of regeneration there being baptism, renewing of the Holy Ghost to be obeying the word of God once we have become a Christian. We are to make ourselves a presentation to God. Rereading chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. We are to make ourselves a presentation to God. In Romans 6.16, the Greek word there translated that we are to be present our lords or uh, present our bodies or a presentation as parastami. Vincent's word study says it is the technical term for presenting the Levitical victims and offerings. See Luke 2:22. In the Levitical sacrifices, the offer placed his offerer placed his offering so as to face the most holy place, thus bringing it before the Lord. So in Romans 6.16, it is translated as yield. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that whom, to whom ye yield your servant, yourselves servants to obey, to whom ye present yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now in 2 Timothy 2.15, the same Greek word that is present here and yield in Romans 6.16, in 2 Timothy 2.15, it is translated as show. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it could be translated study to present thyself or study to yield yourself. In Job 1.6, we are to bring the offering of our bodies before the Lord. Again, back to Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Job 1.6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And it says, and Satan came also among them. If we will mind the things that God has commanded us to do with our spirit, our bodies will be brought under control. We will bring our bodies under control. And we are to be a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. You know, a dead sacrifice, those animals that they offered there under the patriarchal and mosaic laws. 
So what are we to sacrifice to God? How do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God? Well, Job 31.1 tells us one way we are to sacrifice our eyes to God. Job 31.1, Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? That would be a sacrificing our eyes to God, not looking on things that we should not be looking on. We are to sacrifice our ears to God. Matthew 17.5 Matthew 17.5 says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. We are to listen to what Jesus Christ has to say to us. And, of course, the New Testament is what Jesus Christ has to say to us. We are to sacrifice our emotions to God. In Galatians 5, 19 to 23, we see the various ways that we use our bodies. First are the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So right there, we could sacrifice our emotions or our bodies to the devil, to worldly things. Or we can sacrifice those things to God, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is self-control. Against such there is no law. So we sacrifice our eyes, we sacrifice our ears, we sacrifice our emotions, we sacrifice our hands to God. James 1.27 <clears throat> James 1.27 tells us a way we can sacrifice our hands to God. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That is sacrificing our hands to do good and to abstain from evil. We're to sacrifice our feet to God. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Go and teach the gospel. We are sacrifice our feet to God. We are to sacrifice our tongues to God. In Ephesians 4.29, Ephesians 4.29, 
It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's not just talking about cursing, foul language, things like that. But whenever we fat shame someone, or whenever we talk bad about someone, that's corrupt communication as well. We're to sacrifice our affections to God. In Matthew 10, 37 and 38, it says some things there, Jesus speaking, that are hard to do, but we must sacrifice our affections. And we'll see what we're looking at here. Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. If we place kinfolk ahead of what God commands us to do, whether that, that could be many things. You know, there are people that stay home from services because family's coming in. That's loving family more than God. There are those who will go to ball games or practices or such things as that and miss services. That's putting family ahead of God. And you could go on and on with this list. But we must sacrifice our affections to God. And our sacrifice is to be holy. Look again at Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Our sacrifice is to be holy. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. <laughs> the word conversation there in, in the King James Version means all manner of living, the way we live. And then verse 16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The word holy is translated from the Greek word hagios. Strong's defines that word this way. Sacred, physically pure, morally blameless or religious, ceremonially consecrated. <coughs> Excuse me. So we are to be morally blameless. That is holy. That is presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice holy. Our sacrifice is to be acceptable to God. Read Romans 12.1 again. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. The word acceptable is from the Greek word eurestos. Thayer defines that word as well-pleasing or acceptable. 
in Psalm 19.14. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Our bodies as a living sacrifice are to be holy. We're to present ourselves before God in an acceptable way. We must be acceptable to God. In 1 Peter 2, 5, 1 Peter 2, 5, it says there, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So our sacrifice must be acceptable to God. You remember there in Genesis chapter 4 that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God and Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. And then he says there in Romans 12, 1 again, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable in our service to God that we do this. The word reasonable there is from the Greek word logikos. You hear our word logic in that. It's only logical that we would want to do that. Thayer's 2B definition of logikos is this. Agreeable to reason, following reason, reasonable, logical. And then we are to have reasonable service. The word service translated from the Greek word latreia, Thayer's 1a definition is any service or ministration, the service of God. Brother Tom Waycaster made this comment concerning the verse. He said, and I quote, before there can be a change in the outward man, there must be a change in the inward man. Unquote. In Acts chapter 20, verse 19, Paul is there speaking to the Ephesian elders. Acts 20, 19. He says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. So Paul was willing to give this reasonable service in spite of of the persecutions that he faced. In Romans 12:11 it says not slothful in business fervent in spirit serving the Lord. We are to be fervent in our spirit in serving the Lord. In Romans 12:2 Paul says do not go back to living like you did before. Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed 
by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You have the conjunction and there. Again, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and the word and there being the conjunction that this part is just as important as presenting ourselves as living sacrifices unto God. And this part is telling us what not to do. The first part told us what to do. He says, be not conformed to this world. The word conformed, translated from the Greek word suskematizo, Thayer gives this definition of that word. To conform oneself, for example, one's mind and character to another's pattern. Fashion one's self according to. Barnes in his commentary made this comment concerning verse 2 here. And I quote, The word rendered conformed properly means to put on the form, fashion, or appearance of another. It may refer to anything pertaining to the habit, manner, dress, style of living, etc. of others." Unquote. In 1 Peter 3 verses 3 and 4, 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, speaking of women there, Peter said, whose who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. So do not be conformed to the world would be verse 3. Living, giving God our living sacrifice would be verse 4. In 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, it tells us there again what not to conform ourselves to. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we have the things here not to be conformed like, not to fall into the trap of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then, <clears throat> continue in Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. We are to be transformed from our old way of life. You know, back in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, we have the battle of the mind. Romans 8, 5 through 7. 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So we see the battle of the mind taking place in us. And are we going to choose to be transformed or are we going to choose to be conformed? Transformed is from the Greek word metamorpho. And we hear our English word metamorphosis in that. Thayer defines metamorpho this way. To change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. Christ's appearance was changed and was resplendent with divine brightness on the Mount of Transfiguration. Unquote. There. Robertson's word pictures made this comment. Quote, there must be a radical change in the inner man for one to live rightly in this evil age. Unquote. But Tom Waycaster stated this, and I quote, Don't allow the world to determine your standards, goals, purposes, activities, clothing, speech, entertainment, habits, etc. Unquote. <laughs> so we must be transformed. You know, our English word metamorphosis talks about that old ugly caterpillar going into its little cocoon there and coming out as a beautiful butterfly. It has went through the process or gone through the process of metamorphosis. We are to go through the process of metamorphosis and leaving our old sinful way of life and being transformed into that beautiful child of God. And this transformation takes place by the renovation of our mind. Look at Romans 12, 2 again. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing there from the Greek word anakinosis Thayer defines as a renewal, renovation, complete change for the better. Do you think about you're going to renovate your kitchen or whatever, and you're going to renovate it to make a complete change for the better than what you had before. And that is the way we are to be in our lives. We are to make a complete change and be better, be a child of God and live like one. In Ephesians 4, let's look at verses 22 to 25. Ephesians 4, 22 to 25, and this talks about how we renew our minds. It says that you put off in other words, get away, put it away, concerning the former conversation, the old man. Word again, conversation, speaking of lifestyle. So we would say, put away our former lifestyle, that old man, put it away. 
and then he says, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And we've already seen 1 John 2, 15 and 16, <clears throat> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But then he says in verse 23 of Ephesians 4, and be, ye, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's that renovation process. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we got rid of the evil individual we were, and now we have become righteous and holy because of what God has done and our obedience. Verse 25, he says, Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. People lie all the time. Well, Revelation 21.8 tells us that all liars shall have their part of the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. We need to put that away. If we just speak the truth, we don't have to try to remember what lies we've told. In Ephesians 5.11, Ephesians 5.11, says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. No fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. What could we call that? What you know, we put forth some examples earlier. Staying home from services so family wouldn't have to wait on us or go with us or anything going to the ball games, the practices, or whatever school function or whatever it may be, and missing services. Or homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, which is nothing more than human sacrifice. We cannot fellowship those things or anything like them, any sin. But we are to be reproving them not staying silent, not going along with it. We are to be reproving those acts of sin. In Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, says, If ye then be risen with Christ, we are risen with Christ when we come up out of the watery grave of baptism, so if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. In other words, seek spiritual things, not worldly things. Continues to say, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The things, on, the things that are above are eternal. The things that are on the earth are going away. They're going to be dissolved. This body is going to be dissolved back into the dust. If we are spiritually minded, live faithful to God, we will set our affection on things that are 
above. And when this transformation takes place, we can find and follow God's will. Go back and read Romans 12, 2 again. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove whether it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, God's will is already good and acceptable. We have to prove that to ourselves. God doesn't have to prove that. The word prove there, from the Greek word dakamadzo, Thayer defines this way, to test, examine, prove, scrutinize to see whether a thing is genuine or not as metals, to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve or deem worthy. You see, God's will is worthy to follow. We just have to prove it to ourselves that we so or so we can be worthy to follow it. In Hebrews 5, look at verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. We see here what happens when we do not prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It says, for when the time you ought to be, or when for the time, you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we must prove ourselves to ourselves so that we the good and perfect will of God so that we can have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil in Psalm 119 verse 160 and I want to look at the American Standard Version rendering of this verse Psalm 119 160 it says, the sum of thy word is truth, and every one of thy righteous ordinances endureth forever. So we see that the sum, the totality of God's word is truth. God's will, as he mentions here, that, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. The word good, translated from the Greek word agathos, and this is Thayer's five definitions of that word. Number one, of good constitution or nature. Number two, useful, salutary. Number three, good, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy. Number four, excellent, distinguished. And number five, upright, honorable. So God's will is good, pleasant, joyful, happy, excellent, go on, whatever all the rest of those words. So God's will is good, it is acceptable. The word acceptable from the Greek word euarestos, and Strong's defines that word this way, fully agreeable. 
Thayer says, well-pleasing, acceptable. And then we have it is perfect, the perfect will of God. The word perfect translated from the Greek word teleos. Thayer says it means brought to its end, finished, or wanting nothing necessary to completeness, perfect. That's the perfect will of God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is what will lead us to heaven. In Proverbs 6.23, Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. God's will, God's word is that for us. So you think about these first two verses that we've looked at. What an enormous impact God has on our lives. Through his great mercy, he has given us a way to be pleasing unto him and told us how to do that. If we will present ourselves to God as those living sacrifices, our lives will change for the better. We will be rid of our old worldly ways and we'll be living with our renovated minds following God's commands all the way to heaven. So we've seen Paul just talked about our being a living sacrifice to God and not being like the world in the rest of Romans 12, and we're not going to be able to finish the chapter today. Paul will show what it takes to be a living sacrifice. First of all, in verses 3 through 8, the Christian is seen or shown as a member of the Lord's body. First of all, in Romans 12, 3, we have the right attitude toward evaluation. Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. He says, For I say. In other words, Paul is saying, Here is what it means to be a living sacrifice. And he says, by the grace given unto me, Paul was an inspired apostle. And then he says to every man that is among you, the word every from the Greek word pas, Strong's defines as all, any, every, the whole. Every one, and you'll notice the man Word man, there's in italics, it was added by the translator. So to every that is among you, not just men, but men and women as well, male and female. Romans 12, 3, I want to read it again, but this time from the literal translation of the Bible. 
It says, For through the grace which is given to me, I say to everyone being among you, not to have high thoughts beyond what is right to think, but set your mind to be right-minded, even as God divided a measure of faith to each. So what we're looking at here is self-evaluation. In Psalm 39.4, we need to have the same attitude that the psalmist had. Psalm 39.4 Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. We must understand this life is short. I don't care how many years you live. The life that we live is short. And we need to understand that and be prepared for the day of our death. Evaluate ourselves daily. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verses 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and 11. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. So it didn't matter who's doing the teaching as long as that teaching is the truth every christian should work at being humble because there is a tendency among human beings to think too highly of themselves you know there is a balance of self-evaluation that we must use one is we are to have a healthy healthy respect for ourselves matthew 22:39 jesus says there matthew 22:39 the second the second greatest commandment is like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself if we have a low respect for ourselves how can we love our neighbor in the right way we have to have a, a healthy respect for ourselves that would include self-appreciation, self-respect, self-image, but not going overboard on those things. You see, at the same time, we are to guard against an unhealthy consideration of ourselves. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, 
having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Well, you think about really what is describing here is a narcissist. A narcissist. That would include pride as well. We are elevating ourselves above others. We would be conceited, exaggerating our own importance. We would be selfish. In other words, becoming self-centered. Everything is me, me, me. So we have to guard ourselves against this unhealthy consideration of ourselves. And then we are to think soberly. Soberly is translated from the Greek word sophroneo. Thayer describes it this way, or defines it this way. To be of sound mind, to be in one's right mind to exercise self-control. Again, Brother John Shannon, on making a comment on this verse, stated this, and I quote, Therefore, the exhortation is to think of oneself wisely and accurately, making a sane and well-balanced evaluation of one's person and abilities, not an insane, unbalanced judgment thinking that one is more important than someone else is insane behavior, unquote. And we are to measure our faith. Again, Romans 12, 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, a measure is like a tape measure. It's a measuring device. So we are to measure our thinking by our faith. Again, Brother John Shannon, and I quote, no Christian has a full measure of anything and is not perfected in any area. We all age, deteriorate, and decay. We all have to move aside eventually for others, no matter what our abilities and contributions. We have no reason to think too highly of ourselves. In verses 4 through 8, we see in Romans 12, we see the right attitude toward cooperation. In verse 4, no single member makes up the whole body. Romans 12:4 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. The word office there from the Greek word praxis, it's, uh, he defines it, or Strong's defines it as practice that is concretely an act, by extension, a function. And that would make sense. All members have not the same function. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 
First Corinthians 12, 12, it says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Just as our hands do one function, our legs another, our brains another, our arms another, they're all different functions, just as each member of the body of Christ has different function from other members. In 1 Corinthians 12, look at verses 14 to 26. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26. says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body. The word tempered there before we go on is from the Greek word sukaranami or subkaranami, and that means to commingle. This is Strong's definition, figuratively to combine or assimilate. So for our comely parts have no need, but God hath combined the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You think about it there, whenever you're hammering that nail and that hammer hits that thumb, your brain doesn't go, well, yeah, you deserve that. No, your brain goes, ah, I'm going to suffer with that. The whole body hurts. And that's the way the body of Christ should be. Whenever one member suffers, the other member should be going, oh, you deserve that anyway. No, we should all suffer together. And in the same, when one member is honored and other members are jealous because they got something that I didn't get. No. We are to be happy for that person, happy with that person and rejoice with that individual. Because no single member makes up the whole congregation. Romans 12.5 Romans 12.5 says, So we being many are one body in Christ 
and every one members one of another. That members one of another refers to the fact that we are inseparably linked to one another. Each one of us is like a link in a chain. Brother Tom Waycaster said this, The church is like a great support group, encouraging, strengthening one, and complementing one another. Unquote. And complement just simply means that which fills up or completes a thing. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. In Galatians 3, 26 to 28, it says, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I want to end the lesson today, and we're going to stop right there, and Lord willing, start here next time. But I want to end the lesson with a quote from Brother John Shannon, and I quote, Christians are part of the whole body, with each member having a task to perform. There is no room for self-evaluation, pride, arrogance, or thinking too highly of oneself, unquote. So, don't think too highly of yourself. We are all members of the one body, and one member is no more important than any other member. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in with us today. And Lord willing, we'll continue in Romans 12 in our next lesson. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Byway Media by visiting our website, bywaymedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts and all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.